Mm. <clears throat> I'm really happy to see so many of us here tonight. It's quite exciting to see this room just get fuller and fuller <laughs> and fuller. We'll have to see how full we can get. How many people can you pack in? Sort of like a phone booth. So last week, I spent a week at Spirit Rock doing a variety of things because I'm very involved up there these days. And so we had first two days of teacher meetings. And, you know, getting the Spirit Rock teachers together is sort of, it's definitely a bit like herding cats. And... um, and sometimes mm, our meetings are a little contentious and not always so easy. And at the end of one of the meetings, I had a working dinner with um, the fellow who is the director of Spirit Rack. And after the second day of meetings, all the women teachers got together and talked some about how is it to be a woman teacher in a community of still predominantly male teachers. And that was followed by, on Wednesday, a four-hour board meeting, which was then followed by really four and a half, five days of a teacher retreat with Hamid Ali, who is the teacher who has done the Diamond Approach work. Some of you, I know, know his work, and some of you may have heard of it. And he was a teacher of mine about 15 years ago for six or seven years. So, you know, it was a busy week. (laughs) And it was one of those weeks with just a lot of stuff going on and a lot of mm, interaction. And at one point I called my husband up and I said, this is just like junior high school all over again. (laughs) (laughs) Because the retreat was about relationship. And, you know, we don't always... (coughs) Those of us who choose to sit and close our eyes as a spiritual practice don't always do relationships so very well. (laughs) So in the midst of all of this, one day on the gate, there's the sign. It was Saturday, and it was a sign for a day-long. Many of you have gone up to Spirit Rock for day-longs. And if you haven't, I hope you will, because it's really a wonderful place. And the day-long was being taught by our friend Zoketsu Norman Fisher, who is a Zen teacher. And it was called, The One Who Is Not Busy. (laughs) And I thought, well, (laughs) this is interesting. The one who is not busy. I was just so taken with the title in the midst of quite a busy week, of course. And so it just reverberated. You know, the one who is not busy. I wonder what, I really kind of wanted to sneak away from our retreat and go see what he was teaching, you know. I didn't do it. Um, But nonetheless, even just the title, in a sense, was a gift. You know, the one who is not... If you carry nothing else out of tonight, maybe that's what you'll carry, is just the title. You know, the one who is not busy. What would that look like? So then, as I thought about it, I remembered that about a year ago, somebody from this community um, and I were having tea, and this person said, I'm not busy, and I intend to stay that way. And I thought, wow, that's really impressive. And I was just, I mean, I thought maybe this person should take over and run the group because clearly they had something that I hadn't figured out yet. 
And I was just so interested. How how could you be, you know, that strong about not being busy? And um, you know, so I just chewed on it and chewed on it, and I, I thought um, while I was preparing the talk tonight of something that I often read from my um, friend Diana Winston, and I'm just going to read you part of it. It's a fairly long piece, and many of you have heard it before. But she says, I don't have time. I don't have time. How many times have we all said that? I don't have time to write letters, read books, visit my friend, play with my little brother, kiss, touch, sigh, dance, relate, eat ice cream, make music, pray, (coughs) smell, meditate, take a walk. I don't have time for any of those things. And time is running out and I'm running fast and furiously and I want it to stop. It's painful. Why can't you make it stop? And she goes on at the end, she says, how can I keep track of the multitude of information from TV, newspaper, dailies, weeklies, alternative journals, web, email, snail mail, commercial radio, public radio, what my friends say, posters, flyers, billboards, advertisements, magazines, books, bookstore windows, dreams. Here we go, restless, can't stop now, spinning, careening wildly out of control, faster now, faster, gotta make that date, gotta invent something new, gotta go, can't explain now, gotta check my website, over here, over there, where? No, it's not fun anymore, on to the next better, newer, happier, yes, this is it, got it. (laughs) No, it's not quite it, wait there must be more. Makes <laughs> me tired just to read it, you know. But we laugh, and it strikes such a chord. I love to read it because, in a sense, we all feel seen when we hear that because that's what our lives are like. Everybody is busy. Everybody is busy. Who this one is who isn't busy, I don't know. So we all have full appointment books, and we've got PDAs. Now you can even get a little PDA that beeps and you know reminds you of things. Who, I mean, really. And um, even children have schedules. You know, lots of the children I know have classes, and this is and that's this, and and they don't get. You know, how many children do you know these days who get to go off into the woods behind their house and have a lost afternoon? Not very many. Not very, for lots of reasons. And part of what's happened is they've gotten very, very busy. So we're all doing this. So then it turned out that we actually had had a, some cards. Maybe some of you even picked one up over on the table. I think they're gone now because the Tuesday group snagged them for this retreat, the one who is not busy. And on the back was the koan that Norman had used. So you all know that I like koans. So here's the koan. So you should remember that in Zen communities, there's a certain kind of enjoyment of a little bit of kind of, sometimes what they call dharma combat, you know, this place where they kind of egg each other on and poke each other. (laughs) How awake are you really? And do you really know what you're doing? So one monk is sweeping the ground, and, and the second monk says, too busy. <laughs> and the first monk says, you should know, there's one who is not busy. 
And the second monk says, if so, then there's a second moon. And the first monk holds up his broom and he says, which moon is this? Don't worry if you don't get it. It's okay. You're not supposed to get it in lots of ways. It's just supposed to reverberate. So today, as I thought, well, you know, do I want to keep talking about that? And today was busy. You know, I had a busy day today, things to do, appointments for this and that. And I thought, what? How could I make today not be busy? And it seemed kind of impossible, sort of like, how can you have two moons? There aren't two moons on this planet. There's only one moon on this planet. So tonight, as I said at the beginning, you know, we've all come to this sitting. So every one of you was, at least as I understand things, wise enough to know that it was good to come here and sit down and close your eyes and do your best to stop for 45 minutes. And, you know, there's a few instructions. If you've done this practice before, you know that. And, but they're very simple instructions, really. Give your attention to the breath and to the body. And essentially, pay attention to your experience so that you're here, so that you're, you're not doing anything. Because, you know, how many of you had a sit that had no busyness in it? You know, pretty much probably everybody had a sit where the mind went off and did a little business at some point in the sitting, unless you're extraordinary. And, but the idea is to be really present, just here with our experience, not doing anything about that experience, just letting it be what it is. And that's very difficult. Anybody who's practiced any amount of time knows that it takes a lot of skill to do that. Another person from this community several years ago decided that what she was going to do was she was going to come home from work every day and do nothing. She wasn't even going to meditate. She was going to do nothing. <laughs> and she said it was extraordinarily difficult to let herself do nothing for 15 or 20 minutes. In our culture here, in this Buddhist meditation culture, we place a value on periodic times of retreat and quiet. Sometimes part of a daily practice, certainly sometimes the day long, like the day long that Norman was teaching up at Spirit Rock, or the day longs that we offer here where people come for a day of retreat, or a weekend, or a 10-day retreat, or longer. And in these periods of retreat, we take our busy lives and we put them aside for the most part, and we practice mindfulness. I'm told at Spirit Rock once in a while somebody's found on the telephone talking to their stockbroker, but that's not considered to be a very good idea. You know, So mostly you leave them behind and we slow way down. And, and any of you who've been on a retreat often have heard those instructions. Even move slowly, walk slowly, eat slowly, shower slowly, so that you're really changing how you live your life during this time of practice. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, naturally, if, if you live close to nature, so let's imagine, so many of you have gone camping or backpacking. So then 
you know, when you're out close to nature, nights are dark, right? And so certainly when I go backpacking, often when it gets dark, I might hang out for a while to look at the stars, but often when it's dark, it's cold. And so then you go to bed and you go to sleep. And then because you've gone to bed early, when the sun comes up, you get up early with the sun. But there's this time when the natural world, if we lived a little closer to it, would encourage us to stop. But we don't live that close. We're sitting here with the lights on, right? And you can go home and work, or you'll see the crews out on the freeway on the fish hook, you know, working hard in the middle of the night because it's possible to do that now. So we can, we just keep going. We work 24-7. Or maybe, you know, if we, if we didn't have quite the comforts that we now do, winters might invite us to slow down a little bit more because it would be colder or wetter and would call, call us to spend more time inside. Or there's even been a lot of discussion in the women's community about, you know, their tribal, many tribal customs that require that menstruating women go apart for a period of time and be apart while they're menstruating. Now, that's not so great in some ways as a commentary on the status of women, but one of the things it did was create a space where you stopped your ordinary routine once a month and focused on something else. And so useful as a time of resting and inward reflection. And sometimes, you know, life has events that come along that cause us to stop. Automobile accidents, for one, I know about that. And, or a sudden surgery or a time of ill health that where things change or for ourselves or maybe for someone that you know and love and that you're taking care of. So all of a sudden the rhythm of life stops and you're focused on resting and staying still and healing and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, it's interesting because we don't even often value those times. We're, we're often, I've noticed in my own time of recovery, which is still happening, how much judgment I have about the fact that I'm not yet 100% back, you know, and I'm not able to do everything full tilt boogie like I do most of the time. And what is this that I have to rest and slow down and... And so we, you know, we, we, we don't even allow ourselves to hold these times of stillness um, with, with happiness. So the koan isn't quite so simple as that, though, is it? It's not really about doing anything different. That's one level of working with the notion of how is it that we are not busy. But in the koan, you know, it points towards the place, even in the middle of things, that we can not be busy. It points toward the one who is not busy, even when there are things to do, you know. The broom, you know, he held up the broom, right? He held up the broom and he said, which moon? is this? Well, that's interesting. You can let that one resonate a little. When we are deeply present in our lives, moment to moment, it is, in fact, still possible (coughs) to do many, many things. And what's very interesting is that when 
there isn't so much attachment to self in our activity. When there is no one, in quotes, involved in the doing, then there is way less busyness. So this is something to begin to pay attention to because we talk a lot in in the Buddhist world about the notion of no self and and not not creating this anxiety that happens around I and me and mine. And so there's a way of beginning to get curious about what would it be if all of this the same schedule the same my same schedule last week all those meetings all that interaction what if I don't get so excited about me and it's just activity arising in this field of awareness it begins to change how we hold it what happens if I'm just totally present in a kind of relaxed and open way one moment to the next but when we don't do that pretty much it's about I this and I that and what about me and mine mine is a big one and we are endlessly selfing one of the best ways to understand this teaching about no self is to really look about what happens when we self because that's where you begin to see how much suffering we create around I and me and mine. So when the conditions arise for there to be many, many things to do, all of the appointments, all of the errands, all of the chores, all of the family issues and school issues, I know a number of you are in school, I mean that's School is really, really busy for many, many people. And so all these conditions arise. They're totally appropriate, you know. And so how can I let go of it being all about me and be my best to be fully present, just paying attention to just this moment? It's a little bit like in AA, where you stay sober one day at a time, you know. And so you're not busy maybe one minute at a time. You know, for this minute, I'm just here talking to you. And it's just fine. In fact, it's really fun. And it doesn't have to be about the end of a long day. And you are just here listening. Just one word at a time. And all of you have had busy days, I'm sure. And many of you are really, really tired. If you get ahead of yourself and start chewing on being tired, or if I get ahead of myself and thinking about this or that, then the fun of this present moment of here we are just talking about the Dharma disappears. And and we start feeling busy and beleaguered and hassled and what's next? And maybe some of you are even on on to tomorrow already or maybe next week, you know. And so I'd like to invite you to come back, you know, for all of us to come back and just be here and not be busy together. So it was interesting today. It was fun having a day when I knew I was going to be talking about it. And so the first thing that happened was I had a little window in between errands, and I thought, you know, first thought, well, I can fit several more errands in here. You know, I can go here, and then I can go there, and then I can do that. And then I thought, I think I'll get a cup of coffee, and then I'm going to go sit 
near the beach, and I'm going to just reflect on my talk for tonight. So I did, oh. which was really lovely. And it was not busy, and you know, the ocean was the ocean, and it was a beautiful morning, and it, it made me way less busy, as well as accomplishing something. And <laughs> later on in the day, I had the brilliant notion, as I was wor- really working more formally on the talk, I could turn my phone off. I recommend it. Turning your phone off is the best way not to be busy. And, you know, because there's just something about not being interrupted that creates such a different space, you know. And so you create the conditions for not being busy. And and really these two things work together because if the conditions are so crazed, if you have so many things to do and so many phone calls and you know, your email going constantly and your PDA beeping at you to do one more thing and who knows, you know, all of that stuff. It's pretty hard to let go of self. It is. It's pretty hard not to have it be all about I and me and mine. So it helps to create some conditions where it's a little more spacious and it's a little more open. It's not so busy. So really... I think what it comes down to is both things are true. Just like the Buddha said, it's sort of a middle way proposition. You know, It's the sense that wise choices about time and energy are useful and creating spaces where you can actually stop. And then that willingness to completely enter whatever activity is there and to give it our full attention and our full presence. I think one answer to the koan might be that there is, in fact, a second moon in the heart of our activity, right? In the very middle of it. T.S. Eliot talked about the still point where the dance is. So right there, right in the heart of everything. So it made me think of a poem, and I thought I would end the talk with the poem. It's by Francisco Albanese, and it's called The One Who Is at Home. So this one who is at home doesn't sound very busy to me. He says, Each day I long so much to see the true teacher. And each time at dusk when I open the cabin door and empty the teapot, I think I know where he is, west of us in the forest. Or perhaps... I am the one who is out in the night, the forest sand wet under my feet, moonlight shining on the sides of the birch trees, the sea far off gleaming. And he is the one who is at home. He sits in my chair calmly. He reads and prays all night. He loves to feel his own body around him. He does not leave his house. So, maybe some questions or comments about if you have any about the talk or busyness or not busyness. Please, Leela. I just found myself really curious what is it that Dharma teachers contend about? What is it that Dharma teachers contend about? Oh, dear heaven. How long do you have? (laughs) 
just trying to think back to the um, content of the meeting a little bit. Um, there's always questions about how Spirit Rockets run or doesn't get run, how much time and energy people are willing to be there or not be there. There's a great deal of suffering around how our teachers support it because, they're, as you know, it's a little dicey. Um, that's not so much a matter of contention, but people bring suffering, and then sometimes... So people are sometimes... Sometimes there's just a little edginess around the places where we're suffering. We're a community that's many of us have been together for 20 years. So think of a family, right? It's, it's longer than most families, actually, I realized. You know, I mean, you didn't live with your parents. Most of us are out the door by the time we're 20 or 25. So we've got, you know, all of those kinds of sibling stuff, who gets to teach with whom, who gets to teach with the really big-name teachers, who gets good retreats, who gets... Anything else you'd like to know? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and then there's, there's also, also lots of questions around the vision of Spirit Rock, because we're actually thinking about enlarging it in some ways, building out some of the temporary buildings into full-time buildings. So it's very exciting and challenging, and I wouldn't not be part of it. Please. When you speak about not being busy, I think one of my challenges is um, um, trying to get out of that situation when you're at work and you're working uh-huh. 10, 12 hours a day, and that's when, you know, it's very intense and very busy, but you don't know how to. It's a very good question. She was asking, for those of you who might not have heard her since she's off in the L here, about how do you be, how do you work with us when you're working 8 and 10 and 12 hours a day? And it is a good question because I think that's particularly difficult when either you have, I mean, it might be that at some point, if that's always how work is, at some point you decide not to work so much, but we won't go there. That's too easy an answer in some ways. And, but I think everybody has times when work really revs up. My own observation is that the more you can intend to attend to your experience, the better it is. And even if it's very, very busy, just the awareness that there's a lot of activity, that you're going to really work at staying present, that you might also equally work at creating some space where you have a chance to rest or to nourish yourself or do whatever it is that you do so that you can make it through, if not in an unharried fashion, at least better than you would if you just let it you know, take over. Does that help? Yeah? Yeah. But it is, there is something about looking at this place right in the heart of the busyness that I think is very, very interesting and that we can all give our attention to. Yes, in the back. Oh, I was just going to say that I like her. I was here on Tuesday. I like her to talk to you all. <laughs> Thank and, you. Um, it strikes me as a very revolutionary act, actually, to not self uh-huh. Busyness. And I think if we actually did that, we probably would do a little bit less 
Okay, how should we do? Yeah, well, it's... Because our, that what we would be valuing would be different. We wouldn't just be valuing productivity. Right. And what our, our larger culture tells us we're supposed to be doing. Right. We would be valuing right. our relationships and our and ourself right. in, in the physical sense yeah. more. And so it actually seems very radical. Well, it's, you know, it's the heart. I mean, the Buddha was pretty radical, and it's the heart of the Buddha's teaching is this place of... What happens when we don't put that right in the center? That means we're not making everything about I and me and mine, which doesn't mean not to have the conventional sense of ego and, and all of that. You need that. You need boundaries. You need all of that. But there's a way in which we do not hold that to be ultimately it. And that's very counter to what our culture teaches. Yeah. One more. Well, I thought it was interesting in your talk when you came to the place where you stopped, where you stopped for a break uh-huh. this morning, and you also decided to turn the phone off. Um, I think that it's it, there, there are the two things going on. There's the being present in the busyness, but it's also being willing to make some choices uh-huh. of letting some things go. Yeah. And if your phone calls were so important to you that you couldn't turn off the phone, then you wouldn't have been able to find that place yeah. of no busyness. Yeah. And I find that that's a challenge too, but I think it's really very right. fruitful to, to find the places where you can let go of what you thought you needed. And that particular one is so interesting because there's, and I invite all of you to experiment with it, there's something that's just so delicious. <laughs> When I turn the phone off, you know, I go around to each phone, make sure they're off, and then it's like, <sighs> and I know that for an hour or two or three, whatever the time is, I will not have that interruption. Whatever I choose to do is what I will be doing. It's quite when I try it, it's really great. Please, Michelle. Yeah, it's actually deliciously freeing to uh-huh. to turn your phone off. I used to work in a, in a high-tech job where I was on call basically 24 hours a day. So as long as I was at that job, I had to have my, my, my cell phone or my BlackBerry on and with me at all times. And it, it got to be so stressful. Every time I would hear that ringtone, it would just create this, this fluttering, this stress response in my, in my heart and, um, it was it was awful. It was nightmarish. So when I finally left that job and and left that that whole career, and you know I, I still have a cell phone, but it's my own cell phone, and I have the freedom to turn it off now when I when mm-hmm. I choose. And it was interesting um, tonight during the meditation. I heard a cell phone vibrate somewhere in the back, and I still had that same response <laughs> when I heard it go off. I was like. Still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we have. Uh, it's interesting as a culture. I mean, we've kind of moved towards this place of being constantly on, yeah. and and constantly available. Like and on vacation, where everybody. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So to look at that, if you'll be short. Well. A meditation retreat is pretty darn busy. You're always busy meditating. I mean, the only difference is you're not in charge of your schedule anymore. 
So, I mean, how much break time do you have in a meditation retreat? So, I mean, you're going from one activity to the next. I mean, meditating is meditating. So, I mean, you it's a, true. There's I'm a not certain. I don't know how to do this, but it sounds to me like there's a certain structure in a meditation retreat, and there's not much going on in that structure. It's pretty simple. And, and actually, at a Vipassana retreat, there's no Dharma police. So, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you take a nap or go for a walk. At the retreats at Spirit Rock, there are no Dharma police. At our retreat in May, there, there are none. So play with it. It's an interesting question, and play with it. Because it, I think not being busy does not necessarily mean that there's no structure. There's plenty of structure at a Vipassana retreat, or any other kind of retreat. But there's also a lot of place for not doing well, because I mean, I, I do the same thing at work that I do at the meditation retreats. I go cheat and I take a nap. Uh-huh. I go find a place and not cheating. And it works. It's not cheating. I invite you not to consider that not to be cheating. <laughs> <laughs> well, my employer thinks it's probably. It's probably I'm cheating. not worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need to stop.